Welcome to the New Yorker's February 8, 2010 issue. We have seven articles for you. In the talk of the town, we have three special remembrances of the late J.D. Salinger. Adam Gopnik writes about the author's life and writing. Lillian Ross remembers their friendship. And John Seabrook recounts their first meeting. Next, Patrick Radden Keefe has an in-depth report on the fight to apprehend one of the world's most prolific arms dealers, a man whose life appeared to be stylized after movie villains. Then, John McPhee writes about the death of his father and how it is linked to his memories of fishing. And finally, Paul Goldberger writes about how the tallest man-made structure ever built resides in Dubai. But first, it's this week's comment. In Sparrin' Words, Hendrik Hertzberg writes about President Obama's new political reality. President Obama's first State of the Union address came at the end of the most harrowing nine days of his young administration. On January 19th, a Republican won the Massachusetts seat that had been held for nearly half a century by Edward M. Kennedy, thereby depriving the Senate Democrats of the 60th vote they need to pass legislation. A headline on the website of the Village Voice summarized the situation tartly and smartly. Scott Brown wins mass race, giving GOP 41 to 59 majority. In the aftermath, as the Brookings scholar Henry J. Aaron wrote in National Journal, the White House and many congressional Democrats seemed almost as shattered psychologically as the Haitians were physically after their catastrophic earthquake. The president doesn't do shattered, but he was plainly discombobulated. When he was asked by George Stephanopoulos about the fate of health care reform, he shilly-shallied. The Senate certainly shouldn't try to jam something through until Scott Brown is seated, he said. People in Massachusetts spoke. He's got to be part of that process. He added feebly, I would advise that we try to move quickly to coalesce around those elements of the package that people agree on. Perhaps he had momentarily forgotten that it's the Senate that's supposed to advise, if not necessarily to consent. A president is supposed to lead. A few days later, he proposed a three-year freeze, beginning in 2011, on discretionary, non-entitlement, non-national security spending, about one-eighth of the federal budget. Aides quickly explained that the freeze would not be across the board, that funds would be shifted from ineffective programs to effective ones. Even so, just about everyone outside the Republican Congressional Caucus recognizes that, with unemployment at 10%, the near-term need is for more public spending, more stimulus, not less.